Let's go into your next patient. All right, so the next one is an 81-year-old woman who I saw about a year and a half ago with fairly widespread metastatic gastric cancer. As I said to Tony earlier, when I saw this patient, I had debated whether we should just consider referring her to hospice or treat her aggressively. She actually wanted to be treated aggressively. She had a fair amount of symptoms. She had a large gastric ulcer. Tony actually asked a good question. She had breast cancer a long time ago. Could it possibly be, did she have a lobular breast cancer? And this was a late reoccurrence, but they biopsied a large gastric cancer. It was a signet ring adenocarcinoma. I typically try to test her to new on all patients, but sometimes they just get a small biopsy and, and there's just not enough tissue to do that. So after discussing with her, I decided to treat her with DCF. It's actually a modified DCF. It's one of our pathway regimens. It's a regimen that I often use. It's somewhat complicated, but most patients tolerate it reasonably well. And she had an excellent response. In addition, she had a fair amount of bone pain. She was started on a bisphosphonate, and she actually had a remarkably good response to treatment. But I didn't really feel I could stop the treatment with such widespread disease. So in a way, I almost treated her like a colon cancer patient, put her on maintenance, capecitabine which she took for almost a year, I believe. And then she started developing hand-foot syndrome, redness, pain in her hands and feet, fissuring. And so now she's been off capecitabine and really just giving her, actually now she's on every three-month bisphosphonate. And today I tried to get her to complain about something, but I couldn't, she didn't complain about anything, she didn't even complain about the weather, so... So I'm curious, how did this lady tolerate, you know, 81-year-old woman tolerate DCF? Well, you know, practicing in Central Florida, most of my patients are in their 60s. <laughs> we consider an older patient somebody in their 90s. So, And I don't really go just by age per se. I think it depends on the patient's functional status, their comorbidities. You see, this lady really has minimal other medical problems. She doesn't smoke. She's not overweight. She lives independently. She drives herself to the office. I would go more based on their functional status, their comorbidities. And a lot of times you get a feel or a gist just for talking to the patient. And she could just as well be in her 60s from looking at her. But again, she didn't have any specific complications with the DCF? No, she tolerated. I mean, by the fifth or the sixth treatment, she was fatigued. She had some cytopenias. She had some diarrhea, some nausea. And she said, this treatment is starting to get to me. But it wasn't anything. She ended up being hospitalized or anything like that for dehydration or sepsis or... And just to clarify, if I understand you correctly, at this point, you don't have a HER2 assay on her? No. She had bone metastases. She had liver disease. She was diagnosed based on an EGD, but they got a relatively small biopsy. The pathologist just used up all the tissue making the diagnosis because she had a previous history of breast cancer. So they did a few extra special stains and stuff. But And I debated doing a second biopsy just to get HER2 new status. I know the data says 20% of patients are HER2 new positive, but in the real world, it doesn't seem like it's that high to me. It seems like it's probably less than that. 
I'm just kind of curious if and when she would develop disease progression. Of course, it depends a lot on what's going on. But in general, what might you be thinking about for her next? Well, yeah, I mean, she's certainly not cured. I almost certainly think she's going to relapse again. You know, there's several regimens for gastric cancer. They're all very similar, some type of fluoropyrimidine, some type of platinum, maybe a taxane. So I think she still has a port. I probably just, you know, it's been a year or more since she's had DCF. I may just treat her with that again. Tony, I'm curious about your thoughts. There is another agent I just saw, you know, the paper was published in Lancet. Interesting agent in study, Ramucirumab. What is it? What do we know about it? Do you think that would be something that might be considered in this lady's future? Ramucirumab is actually a monoclonal antibody that, unlike Bevacizumab, that specifically targets the ligand VEGFA, this one targets the receptor itself. It's very specific to VEGFR2, which is thought to be the main driver for angiogenesis, for blood vessel formation. So this agent actually looks extremely promising. And if you recall the data from Avagast, which was first-line bevacizumab plus chemotherapy study, which was negative, although there were hints of positivity in the subgroups of patients that came from the Americas, meaning North and South America, there were hints that VEGF inhibitors actually are active. But we never had this data until the paper you mentioned that was published in Lancet. Remisurumab was compared to best supportive care and increased the survival rate to what you would expect with single-agent chemotherapy, meaning it went from 3.8 to 5.2 months and also improved the progression-free survival. As a single-agent, anti-angiogenic agent, in the second line. That was pretty impressive, and that's pretty impressive data. You're also going to see the presentation from the other study, the Rainbow study, with Paclitaxel and Ramucirumab versus Paclitaxel weekly at ASCO GI. That, at least we know from the news release, that it was positive, favoring the Ramucirumab again. So to confirm the findings from the first study, I do suspect that following the presentation at ASCO that the favored way to use remisurumab is going to be combining it with paclitaxel rather than as a single agent. But in actual practice, it would make much more sense to add it to chemotherapy. And paclitaxel is the perfect combination, weekly paclitaxel, because of its safety profile and its likelihood of response. So for this particular lady, I think it would make tremendous sense given her age. And, you know, when these patients recur, they do a little bit worse to start with, meaning their performance status tends to be a little bit worse. They're usually pretty beat up from the prior chemotherapy. And so depending, of course, Tom will be the ultimate decider, but depending on how she is looking like at the time of recurrence, she may end up being a perfect candidate for paclitaxel and ramucirumab. U.S. Oncology participated in several studies with ramucirumab, and not only gastric, but colon lung cancer. So yeah, I mean, it's certainly an option to consider for her. Getting back to the HER2 question here, obviously, if she gets easily accessible tissue, you could repeat it. I see her breast cancer was way back in 1987. But anything new that you want to comment on, Tony, in terms of management of HER2 positive gastric cancer? We've had trastuzumab out on the table for a while. And a lot of people ask me, well, what about the new drugs that you see in breast cancer, where, of course, we've seen pertuzumab, TDM1. 
What are we thinking right now beyond trastuzumab and HER2-positive gastric cancer? So for gastric cancer beyond trastuzumab, there was an attempt with lapatinib, the oral agent, which failed, unfortunately, to show any benefit. But to improve upon what the results were with the trastuzumab study, there's a study that's ongoing, an international study that actually is, again, simulating the benefits that were seen in breast cancer is to look at pertuzumab added to trastuzumab plus chemotherapy versus chemotherapy plus trastuzumab alone to see if we can simulate that. So that's one study that's happening. We're far from having those results, meaning possibly two to three years before we have the results of this study. The other study is looking at TDM1 versus a taxane of choice. And that's, again, another international phase three randomized study that will be starting accruing soon. And that study results will probably be available to us in the next couple of years. So again, there is a lot of activity going on. The first activity with lapatinib was actually negative. We didn't see any activity with that agent. But the other two studies are ongoing, and hopefully we'll be able to add to those patients more options with pertuzumab and maybe TDM1. So again, kind of taking a step back, looking at this patient and her environment. I don't know who she lives with and what her lifestyle's like, but maybe you can comment a little bit on what it's been like taking care of her. She lives alone as well. She usually comes by herself, occasionally being a friend. Well, if she's getting chemotherapy, she typically would come with someone to the office. She's not somebody that complains a whole lot. She's been a pleasure to take care of. I can't really say anything that specifically stands out. Just kind of wondering, you know, just from a human point of view, being in a, you described a situation initially where you were thinking about hospice for her, and now she's had, you know, a year and a half of, sounds like, pretty good quality of life. I, I just kind of wonder what it's like for a person to go through that experience and for you know, physicians to take care of people going through this experience. Tony, I mean, this is not something that happens every day in the practice of, you know, cardiology or orthopedics. I think it's pretty specific to oncology. It's very specific to oncology, and it's probably one of the most rewarding aspects of treating patients with cancer. And I must say that I personally have to change some lines of thinking after I've seen this patient I was never a big advocate of the triplets, very reluctant to give them, especially to an 81-year-old. But having seen this patient, she certainly benefited tremendously at the risk of actually in her situation. I think the assessment was that she has a good backbone and therefore she was able to go through this. I think the perspective from the patient, of course, is that one, she gained, if untreated, she would have lived beyond three months. She gained more than a year and probably more now with treatment. But most importantly, having her disease respond has given her more quality of life. I've talked to one of my patients that passed, actually, before they passed, and had a very similar outcome with chemotherapy and lived longer. And we talked a little bit about how their perspective of life changes. And the comment from the patient was, you know, we all think that at some point we're going to leave this world, we're going to pass. But we never think about it in concrete terms, what's going to happen after us. And when it becomes reality, he says, you know, my perspective about life changed significantly. In fact, I knew I had a limited amount of life and I wanted to enjoy every bit of it with my family, with my loved ones. And I know I'm going to die and I accept it, but I want you to do everything possible to give me, as long as possible, 
And as long as you can preserve the quality, and I want to die with dignity and in peace. And so this summarizes pretty much what you know, we do to a lot of these patients and how patients view what we do to them as long as we keep a very open communication about expectations and outcomes. With yeah, them. let me just clarify one thing I said. Actually, what I think I meant to say is before I saw the patient when I was reviewing the medical records and I saw 81 with this really bad-looking PET scan, I thought, boy, I'm not even sure if this is <laughs> worth treating her. But once seeing the patient and talking to her, it seemed like, you know, it was almost 180 degrees what I thought from looking at the records from actually seeing and talking and examining the patient. So, I think it's interesting from my point of view. I mean, of course, we're, you know, we're focused on a lot of the clinical science here together, but, you know, you've already presented a number of patients who, you know, I think people on the outside would find almost miraculous. I mean, to be told that you have an incurable disease and then live comfortably for a number of years or more and it's kind of funny the two of you kind of like you see this so often you're you're kind of used to it but i think from the outside people would be amazed at being in a clinical practice where you see this so much anyhow just a thought <laughs>